Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello, welcome to episode number 175 of the ETPC team podcast with myself and Rosalind. Hi, Rosalind, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Uh, great, thank you. And Anna, I feel kind of silly asking how you are because you're in the room next to me, but how are you? <laughs> Uh, apart from being eaten alive I'm well. <laughs> I know. well I think we've all been eaten alive like the three of us combined because Ros where are you so I'm in the Philippines at the minute and it's mozzie mozzie central so it is. yeah I bet those ones are like primed for dengue fever too so be careful oh yeah. not the day again I <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. um, haven't had any El Nido belly yet which I think is a bit of a thing as well so what's that what what happens with that I think it's like Bali belly apparently like food poisoning is like salmonella is like rife around here but so far avoided it oh Oh, congrats (laughs) well I actually got asked by somebody recently and they've missed me a few times actually have to reply to be an ambassador for dengue fever awareness (laughs) <laughs> I was like what a thing to come out of having dengue fever um, and they've messaged me a couple of times because they, they want to raise awareness for travellers going to certain places I'm like I was in Playa del Carmen in Mexico I don't know if that really it's like a good story to tell but um, you know my friend was like please do it that's amazing I'm like I'm not so sure I always say no to these types of things but maybe for dengue fever I'd do it um, I've just got a hive we did yoga last night. We only have one mat. So I did a did yoga on the mat and whatever. Uh, sorry, yoga on the carpet and whatever was in that carpet. I'm going to go with cleaning fluid and not like dirt. I came out in hives. So it's a good time. We're all pretty foul. Um, let's just get cracking on the questions. Ross, do you want to go first? Yes. So, okay, here we go. Um, I've been reading a lot online about the link between binge eating disorder and depression. I know that binge eating disorder can come with depression, but is there a difference between having both disorders or having one as a side effect of the other? I thought that's quite a good, good question. question. Good question. So if we're looking at, technically there's not really a difference. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Ross. Like, technically there's not really a difference, right? If you meet the DSM criteria for both, then you can be diagnosed with both. Um, but like you said, they are associated, but like things like depression are associated with is associated with lots of different things, associated with things like obesity and like more other other health kind of struggles. Um and we don't have like an association. So we don't say binge eating disorder is caused by depression or depression is caused by binge eating disorder, because realistically in the research, we can't really determine that we can't give someone depression and then see if they develop binge eating disorder so all we can do in the research is identify that the kind of things co-present so there's not really a difference I think in terms of how that matters for each person 
it's good to be aware of maybe how they show up for you and if they come together for you just in terms of your own awareness and often managing depression or getting treatment for depression can support reductions in binge eating um and some of the kind of treatment strategies for depression and binge eating disorder might be similar in some cases so you might do cbt for for these types of situations for example there's obviously a lot more to consider um specific to each of those things um so but there's no kind of clear cut like there's not like a difference between like if you have them together or if one causes the other because we just don't know that mm-hmm. yeah i agree with everything you said and they're two separate things so they are but you can possibly have both diagnosis as well and and certainly I suppose anecdotally we know as well like if you have low mood you're not going to be inclined to look after yourself and maybe that you'll have like no feelings of self-worthiness so that could lead to the binge eating but it's not necessarily I think it's really important it's not necessarily the sole cause so I don't have anything more to add great good question um I'll go for it um okay I have a question around boundaries I know you guys have discussed this plenty of times so I hate to make you repeat I'm looking for tips on setting boundaries with my in-laws whom I have to be living with for for the time being so for background her and her family have moved cross country and while they're looking for a new house they're living with her in-laws um especially around being too harsh and having unrealistic expectations for my kids I know from personal experience this is going on in my family situation at the minute because um, my sister's got kids and both grandparents each side look after the kids and there's loads of different parenting styles there and I think there has to be a lot of mutual respect from all parties involved um and sometimes it's communication is really key here and open communication as well um about what and trying to think with in-laws from personal experience it's meeting them with compassion and kindness because sometimes it can be perceived as argumentative or being like controversial or that's not how we did it in our day and there's so many different parenting methods now um and I think as well you're not going to win not seeing it as a battle but you're not going to win every battle so it's about where can the compromises be met on some boundaries like is, is do you, could you have some non-negotiables and some that you can meet them halfway on mm, I like that I like that a lot I think the thing is is holding space for the fact that you can be grateful that you're staying in their home grateful for that love but also still have a requirement for your family your smaller part of your family your immediate family in terms of the consistency that you require for your children because that's what it is right it's different parenting techniques etc but you want consistency for your kids and there's and there's a good reason for that and I think that's completely valid from from that small amount of information that I know um so I would I would probably in a calm again not when they're doing something that you find is outside of what you'd like but in a different situation maybe you're out for the day or something or you're just having a coffee in that situation say I really um appreciate that 
like I really appreciate that we're staying in your home and I just want to say how much I value it but just as a bit of a side note um I really like it's it's okay that you want to let's let's use like a really really trivial example here of like giving your kids sweets before dinner right whatever your thoughts are on that right you can say something like I really really value like that you want to like give the give the kids some sweets and you want to have that connection with them whatever but um just in terms of consistency we really would appreciate it if we did that after dinner because we have always done it that way and um it's important for us as a family to keep some consistency it's a time of change and we really value as a family we really value consistency and interestingly this is kind of more business stuff but it kind of does relate to this um there's this thing in business called the competency like about likability bias where women who are powerful and confident can come across as aggressive and people and unlikable um and it's like consistently shown in the research and there's a couple of ways that you get around it and one is um as a woman one is like framing what you're going to say as like um a with a behavior statement so you say rather than just giving your opinion say i'm going to express my opinion now and the other is a value statement so framing it like this is a this is a, a really value integrity so i'm just going to be honest with you here and that's supposed to help kind of soften the blow of what you're trying to say and again I'm not even going to go into the whole do i think this is fair type of scenario that's not for this conversation but i think it offers a little bit of insight of when you're having these conversations and setting boundaries it's you can kind of put that in there at the beginning just to kind of be like you know what uh, you can say I love that you're doing these things I value all of these things but um you know I really also really value our immediate family really values consistency and as a result of that x y set so doing it like that and then of course like the Brene Brown way of framing boundaries of it's okay that you that you x but it's not okay that you y so it's totally okay that you want to give the kids some sweets and um be those grandparents and like that's amazing but it's not okay that you do that before dinner so I would really appreciate it after dinner like that's a really trivial example and I don't care who if people give their kids sweets before dinner like that's not the purpose of that but it's just a, an example yeah I think the only thing I will add and it's not specific to this client we've said it numerous times but obviously communication is key because otherwise you're just going to sit with that resentment resentment and whilst you're all living under one roof that's going to become real difficult mm, true mm. that true that and sometimes we overplay in our heads and it's not actually that big a deal when we say it out loud it's just in our heads it seems like a big thing no no <laughs> <laughs> okay rather off the rails question sparked by a recent conversation about porn and by the persisting childhood message voice in my head about being sure to wear clean underwear in case you get hit by a bus lol have been <laughs> so funny right? why why is that i remember that narrative of like what if you what if a fireman has to save you in the middle of the night and you've got crap pajamas on ridiculous yeah yeah <laughs> ridiculous yeah, i also don't want my anyone in any &E knowing that i don't have underwear that doesn't have holes in it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, now everyone knows that. Well, now everybody does know. But... <laughs> um, I've been curious about porn and vibrators and sex toys, but have significant resistance from thinking about family, specifically grown kids, who I have shared media accounts with and who would clean out my stuff after I, I 
after I die and them knowing what I am watching and are feeling weirded out about their mum's toys. I think the childhood message was reinforced by some silly section in a murder mystery I read in which the detectives found sex toys in the victim's house. It was no big deal in the book and I know it's no big deal in real life but because but both because in terms of the after I die worry what do I care then and because no um there's nothing wrong with it and my kids can just accept I am or was a normal woman with sex drive not just their old mum but I am finding those concerns a barrier too big to cross do you have any suggestions I love this because you've kind of gone I know what they're going to say they're going to say this mm. and then they're going to say that and I know that so what's next I, I respect that a lot <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I think you <laughs> I think it it's a generational thing, right? Because like sex toys, it's well, I was gonna say common common talk, but like we are a lot more open about these things. And I think like if I'm if I'm gonna personal, I was gonna say personal experience, no. Um, but if I'm thinking about it like my mum is a single woman and if I ever found anything I'm like you know what fair play mum yeah you go for it yeah I hope my mum's got a sex high I like, really hope so I mean I do I find my parents like when I was like 14 <laughs> <laughs> yes Ross. and like I find them like in you know like yeah 14 20 like I and I and I think when I was 14 I was like oh my goodness like what I, I was like is this what I think it is but then I think like in later life I was like oh I'm really glad that they're having sex like I'm, I'm like really glad that like my parents because like I also have loads of like pet friends that you know parents don't sleep in the same room but like they're together and I'm like well at least I know mom and dad are having <laughs> I don't know if mom listens to this podcast she'll be like mortified <laughs> at least um yeah I think I was like from experience being the child that found them I took it to be like that's pretty cool yeah do you know what I think this is a point this is such a good point oh sorry Roz you froze and I think I just spoke over to you over you sorry um are we good um I think that's a point of like come I try and think about it as a, from the perspective of your daughter so your daughter is um possibly a little bit younger she's I mean she's quite a lot younger than I am but like a bit younger than you two are and so she's even probably even more liberal about these things than we are so you're seeing this from your perspective of like the worry around that but if you put yourself in her shoes I imagine she would probably have the same sort of reaction if not even more like liberal than we are to to you doing that um because so, I'm not going to patronize you and say well who cares what they think because obviously you've covered that like and you're right when you die you won't care anyway um I mean you like there's do you know what there's things that are like really discreet these days in terms of like you don't even know they're a sex toy like I've looked at stuff and I'm like that just looks like a rock like I don't quite understand that <laughs> but like don't there's some very aesthetic ones so I was looking um recently actually because I was on, I can't remember what website I was on, but they they were selling sex toys as well as, it was not a shop that I expected to sell sex toys on. And they had an image of a bookshelf and it had sex toys on the bookshelf um, amongst other stuff. And I, I was like, where is, like, what is it? And it was just like so well disguised. And it was, it was like a, um, 
really nice beige color it's like that's really attractive textile very aesthetic but, <laughs> yeah, very aesthetic and and we know I love the aesthetics so like realistically something like that considering something like that might be quite helpful because it, it's kind of softens the blow just a little bit of like it's not some like raging like well in the olden days they had just like giant six inch dildos didn't they they didn't even have vibrators it was like the big rubber yeah I'm not surprised I did actually have that image in my head when you were telling the story Ross so thanks for that um but yeah so so but they're so they've come on like so much since then um I mean you could have the conversation I don't know if I'd I don't think I'd have the conversation with my mum about it thinking about it I'm like you could have the conversation but I, I don't think I would I think my mum I mean my mum sees my Instagram and stuff so she knows I talk about stuff like this but um and I hope she has a sex toy but I don't want to be like mum do you have a sex toy like I think there's a, you've all got we've all got our barriers so I think that's probably not the answer um I also think possibly why don't you, you could just get one right and say look I'll throw it away I'll get it get like one that's not like expensive and get it and be like I've always got the option to throw it away um you can keep it in your you can keep it in your handbag you can put it under the lining in your handbag like you can keep it with you if you want all the time or you can have a hiding place for it that's not just like by your bed but once you get one and you remember just how good it is that care might actually start to go out the window a little bit because you're like oh fuck like I forgot like actually this is actually a really nice addition to my life and, and that worry will go down sometimes it's just the kind of action like doing the action I can always say this a lot about other things and even when you don't want to do something just doing it and then realizing actually it wasn't that bad maybe that's the answer but start I was gonna say start small but like um it might not be small just start aesthetically um and then kind of move from that I think but like it's certainly a common narrative but again put yourself in your daughter's shoes and think realistically she think that that's probably the perspective she's going to have of like I'm really pleased I'm really pleased and also I'm pretty sure now I don't know the research off the top of my head so I'm not gonna don't cite me on this pretty sure there's some research around like orgasms and sex life and longevity oh, I was thinking that I saw it the other day yeah. it was like I think it was like I want to say mm, 18 or between 18 and 25 percent orgasm on the like on a first time with a new partner and then it was like 65 percent with a with a toy or oh right yeah well that too yeah you get infinitely better orgasm through a toy at least initially if with a new partner let's be honest the i think i did a post on it first time mm-hmm. sex for for a heterosexual relationship first time women is 17 percent orgasm pathetic but in terms of like long-term health outcomes i think that is one of the potential contributors to um better health outcomes long term now I'm not 100% sure in the research I can definitely find that because the person who asked this question <laughs> research. um so really really you're doing your daughter a favor and your family a favor because it's good for your health so selfless yeah. really yeah. <laughs> just a very selfless act correct um okay Rosalind go for it um I see so many people who up their calories significantly and do not gain fat but actually end up leaner and stronger and have built more muscle is this possible without a proper gym or what's the deal with upping calories? It can be scary as AF. But for context, this client lives in the Yukon, which is very isolated. So it is. So I don't think she's got access to 
a gym does like crazy shifts as a chef as well um so I think that's what she means by not having access to a proper gym and we've been doing work about trying to increase cows and she is extremely scared of that as well mm -hmm. it say? is scary <laughs> it is scary to to think about upping cows and I guess having your your why being at the forefront of your mind and keep on reminding yourself of that but I think from from working with clients where they've needed to for their health I think some of the fear is based more so on the 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 perception of how much food they'll eat because they're, they're attempting to continue to eat the same foods that they are which are all the like high volume low calorie when actually if we look at kind of more calorie dense foods which again can feel scary introducing them but obviously you're working with Ross who's going to support you through that it actually doesn't need to be that much food Mm, totally that people mm. overestimate I think sometimes what a surplus actually is and it's like it could just be your usual eating with a couple of pieces of toast before bed um it doesn't or have to, or mm. yeah I don't know exactly like it doesn't have yeah. to be like this big thing and it can be foods that you you know initially you might want to go for foods that you feel like comfortable and safe with and then expand on that and obviously Ross is fantastic to support you through that and the first part of that question sorry it cut out a little bit was to do with muscle gain right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, yeah people end up leaner and stronger and have built muscle yeah so realistically look the optimal way to build muscle is to be in a surplus a small surplus like that's optimal muscle building takes years and years and years and years years to see anything visible if you're natural if you see someone that is has made a drastic change in a short amount of time and got leaner and built muscle they may well not be doing it naturally that's like usually the case and it's more common than you think it is um but if you're new to lifting then you can especially like say in the first year you might see body recomp at roughly maintenance where you, you lose a bit of fat and you gain a bit of muscle um because you get what we call newbie gains where you're kind of it's easier to build muscle but if you've been training for a, a long time that's realistic unrealistic it's not really going to happen um you can set maintenance most of your life ish and gain muscle over time but you can't expect to see anything like drastic changes like if I looked at my if I took a picture now and compared it to what it was like three years ago say where I've been kind of at maintenance i.e sometimes in a surplus sometimes in deficit sometimes maintenance wherever it's been at that point in my life I probably wouldn't notice that much difference maybe at certain points I would look leaner because maybe at that point in my life I was stressed and I wasn't eating much or something maybe at some points in my life I'd look bigger because I was eating a lot more and I was maybe lifting a bit heavier because I had more energy to train but realistically over time like it, you wouldn't really notice much difference um and despite popular belief I do actually train relatively well um so I think trying to take the emphasis almost of like trying to see visible change all the time the best thing you can do realistically if you're trying to gain muscle and eventually to be leaner with more muscle 
more muscle will make you look leaner generally because you it changes your shape a little bit i would say you have to be training well with progressive overload you have to be logging your lifts you have to be seeing changes in strength um and volume over time realistically and um ideally you would be in a bit of a surplus and it's like coming back to like what's most important to you to muscle mass and strength are crucial for long-term health like they're so important so even aesthetics aside that's what I would tell you to focus on we know that when you're focusing on the way that you look with exercise it's related to things like disordered eating habits it's related to like less enjoyment of exercise and actually less consistency with it whereas if you're focused on um enjoyment and you're focused on health and you're focused on um other outcomes away from how you look you want to exercise more you enjoy it more and your relationship with food is going to be a lot better so i would always recommend even if you do have aesthetic goals in your head which is totally fine i would always recommend not training for those reasons but really training for the other reasons okay anna this is a great question how do i know when i'm being complacent versus when i'm content so this is inter uh, for context this client has done a heck of a lot of work on her relationship with food and body image we started gentle fat loss um and then this question cropped up it's a great question um i would say for me i think the main difference is first of all there's nothing wrong with complacency sometimes fyi i don't i personally don't subscribe to being complacent all the time i don't think that's particularly helpful in terms of your purpose and your mental health um but you can be complacent sometimes if you're progressing towards your goals then then you're probably content and progressing towards your goals and not being complacent now there will be times so let's take fat loss as an example there will be times where you don't see fat loss in a week maybe you've had social stuff and things like that absolutely fine but if that was then over two months and you say that you've got this fat loss goal then maybe you are being a bit complacent with it and that's okay maybe it's not a priority for you maybe it's not something that you value right now that's totally fine nothing wrong with it but you're probably being you're being complacent in relation to that specific goal that you've got and um, not you're not a complacent person so to speak so I think it's really just looking at over time am I progressing to where I say that I want to be and if I am then great I'm content and, and do I feel content and then then it's more likely to be contentment but if if you're not progressing I would say it's probably more likely to be complacency I think that's how I would just, just differentiate it mm. I think as well it can be really difficult when you've come from more of an extreme dieting background to then be doing things more gently to still be prioritizing your health it feels completely alien and almost like you're not doing enough but I think as so long as you're enjoying the process and like you said Amelia making um like still moving towards the goal then whatever that goal may be it's not necessarily fat loss but obviously this client it is as long as you're enjoying the process then that's that's a huge win in my books 
Rosalind, question. Oh. Sorry. Um, just. Okay, this one's about dating and being sober. Um, so around sober curiosity and dating, any experience navigating advice how to navigate, especially this time of the year, when the easier way to date is to go to a bar or a pub and the other person might find it weird if you order non-alcoholic options? If they find it weird that you're having non-alcoholic options, they're not the person that you want to date anyway. Like, that's mm -hmm. the first thing. Like, what are you going to do? Stay in a relationship with someone that judges you for what you eat and drink? Anyone on this team, um, in fact, Anna and I had this conversation recently, I would never date someone now that had but commented on the way that I ate or my food choices and I also wouldn't I wouldn't actually date anyone now probably that that struggled with their own relationship with food because for me that would be too much of a challenge um, and it would be too much yeah so that's not someone you want to spend your life with is it so that's the first thing the second thing is um I like a soft date so Emma and I sometimes talk about this like a soft date of like a coffee and a walk to me I think it's it's much more enjoyable because you can leave whenever you want like you can be like oh we've just had an hour's walk but that he's not for me or she's not for me they're not for me so i leave um i like something like that it's a bit harder to do if you're working like nine to five obviously um but you can always do a decaf coffee after work or a tea and a walk even if it's dark like maybe don't walk for a dark in the dark with a stranger <laughs> like etc um but you could do it on saturday morning etc so i think just like there's so many other things you can do other than a bar but for a first date you just probably don't want anything wild anyway I think I always do a coffee and a walk for a first date because I just think walk's quite good too because you don't have to like if you're weird about eye contact like I'm weird about eye contact <laughs> it takes me a while to feel comfortable with eye contact and with walking you can kind of be like oh that's not made eye contact oh, need to make eye contact um not that I'm socially awkward at all um but with a bar you're sat opposite them and it's so much more intense so I think like it doesn't like I wouldn't make a big deal out of it I feel like it sounds a little bit like you're feeling like it's a big deal but it's really actually not a big deal at all. I actually remember at IFS, James talking about dating and he was saying, James Smith, and he was saying, um, you know, stop dating drunk because you just make stupid decisions. You have no idea about like who the person actually is and your like your perception is just off. And I don't necessarily agree with that completely. Like I'll have drinks on a first date usually because um, that's my personal preference. But um yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a big deal, and I, I, if anything, I think it's it makes you look quite cool. <laughs> mm, yeah, most definitely. I think it's almost like um, I think it's it's become like the the norm and almost a bit of a should that it's something that that everybody does. But I'd I, yeah, I'd certainly have a lot of respect for someone knowing what they they want to do and and following through with it but I think I think we talked about this maybe when um Amelia was off on the podcast when she wasn't well but I mean this will be shocking for sure but as an awkward person I, like um Amelia I like doing things on a date so I wouldn't for me sitting down on a first date trying to make conversation is just not going to happen so <laughs> I I would yeah look at other options that you might feel more comfortable with perhaps 
think you made a really good point, Amelia, because I know this client is she herself's exploring being sober. So I think maybe this is probably quite new to her. So that's why she's like, I think you made a good point. Maybe she needs to get comfortable with the idea of being sober in a date as well. But yeah, I used to be queen of 51st dates and I got drunk at every date. So and like none <laughs> of them worked out, which was which probably showed how terrible an idea that was but I love to talk and I could like talk to a brick wall all day so I <laughs> <laughs> fine with that. but I, I think as well like these days it's quite cool to be sober like it's kind of like on trend to be sober like there's so many like non-alcoholic beers and he I think you said it's a massive red flag if this is someone you're gonna spend the rest of your life with and they're not comfortable with you being sober then it's probably not gonna work out long term anyway so it's not yeah there's actually a book um so I read a book called Unexpected Joy of Being Single which was fab this is a few years ago but there's actually the same author wrote a book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober I think it was I haven't read it but I imagine she's such a good writer so I imagine that that is a fantastic book so if you're somebody who's trying to drink less um or you're in this situation then so your client especially I would definitely recommend reading that book side note just uh like speak up and don't don't fall into uh just because you're um sober you're not designated driver Mm -mm. (laughs) that is a trap I've fallen into (laughs) it could be an ominous trap too so let's not go down that road (laughs) um okay my client has asked and I kind of touched on this in the last podcast and I'm saying this to good teeth how did it feel to have a man as your top artist on spotify and let taylor down i heard only the top one percent get tour tickets when she finally comes here in june 2030 you can absolutely do one you can it feels great it feels great i've been listening to it i've been given anna how much are you enjoying taylor swift midnights oh so so much i um almost know it word for word See, see, and I sing it on our walks in the morning. I'm trying to make it up to her and the Taylor Swift universe by just singing it all the time instead. It feels quite sad. And the only reason Kygo was my number one is because Kygo piano playlist on Spotify is so good for listening to it's when so you're doing chill. work. It's so mm-hmm. chill for work. So clearly it just shows how hard I work on working with my clients like you and not listening to Taylor Swift. So I don't feel bad at all. Go away. Um, <laughs> rude okay Anna question uh, yeah it was wait whose question is that did I just take your turn Anna I don't know I'm lost sorry I'll, I think go. I'll go because it's well it's following follow, follows on nicely from Spotify um and she says I know this feels more like a new year question but I thought of it after the Spotify top fives coming out what's everyone's top five moments of the year Jeez, that's that's mm-hmm. a good question, but that's in a, an on the spot. Like, gosh, I say we just shout them out. Like, if we have them, I left the NHS. That was a big thing for me. Yeah, that's, that's a biggie. Um, I'll have my nephew. Uh, no, he, <laughs> my nephew was born last year. <laughs> <laughs> He was one this year, so he he can he, he needs to be in the top five. <laughs> oh god. Um, I met my what my met my niece this year for the first time. Mm. 
that was a big one big one I think for me going back to Cali was a top one like when I met my niece when I got to see my other niece I've not been to Cali in three years because of the pandemic and I saw obviously saw my family um, and that's got a special place in my heart so that was a top one for me mm. I've got some I've got some family things that have been like yesterday was a top day like certain things with my family that I don't really share but um has been I've had multiple days with my family this year that have been the best days of the year um but they're like they're they're family things um I did my yoga teacher training which is actually like on my vision board for 2022 so it feels quite to like you know it actually came true yeah and it was such a like not to be cliche like it was such a healing time like because like I was away with like 20 other women lived together so yeah that was a really special time as well I love that Um, Anna what about you she's had no joy she's had no joy (laughs) no no I have no this year has been fab I think I have loved both the level up events and getting to be with everybody because whilst we chat all the time on on our coaches whatsapp group we don't we don't get enough time together and that's something that I would like to make a focus for next year um traveling because after the last two years I've I've definitely realized how much I miss it um Oh, yeah. And getting back out, competing my horse. That was fun. And again, more of a focus for next year because I've realised that I can actually do it. So, yeah. I think, what else? I love seeing your horses on Instagram. (laughs) He'll be back. He'll be back next week. All over it. (laughs) I mean, I've obviously had tons of great moments, but when you're on the spot, you're like, I think... I think I've had lots of good work moments, but I can't even think of them right now. So that kind of sucks. I've got one more highlight. I think it was my 30th in January and the girls surprised me. And we ended up going to like three drag shows in one night. And it just was like nice. so much fun. It was just so much fun. And I got to go up on stage at every show. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, my versus in January, so it feels like yeah that was you know like you just have a good night out it was just like girls on tour yes I love that I love that a lot uh I know actually I'm thinking I was in Mexico in January so we Em and I had the best day we went to this little island called Isla Mujeres which is just off Cancun and we got this little ferry across and it was just one of the most beautiful places that I've been so that was fantastic too so many but was the ferry was the ferry as enjoyable I mean, it wasn't as bad as the first ferry we got where we were just like going to vomit the whole time. It was actually fine. We sat, it was like one of the ones. I remember seeing your stories like, mm-mm, no, no. It was a good one. It was fine. Um, maybe we'll do a proper podcast, end of year summary podcast. Because mm-hmm. trying, trying to think back to more than yesterday, it's like, whew, that's a question. Um, okay, Rosalind, question. Advice for moments where you know what you should do, but feel mobile, i.e. you know you're anxious wanting to binge because of work and taking 30 minutes to breathe would help, 
but you keep going. So you're aware, you're aware of what you need to do. You just don't do it. I've actually like had, this is a, like a question for the pod, but actually a different client basically asked me some similar question this week as well. Like surfing the urge, they know what to do, but in the moment she said like, she almost wants me to be there with her to help her surf the urge with her. Mm. Super common, like super common. That's the hardest point. To be honest, the natural progression when you're recovering from binge eating, I think, is binge eating, being aware that you're binge eating, then almost almost being able to stop yourself. Like you've got that pause, you know what you kind of would be helpful there. And that's kind of where you are. And then the next stage is like actually managing to put that into place. So you're kind of are going through and you're you're mindful of what you're doing, which is already huge progression. Um, I think it's really about creating the space between you and the action, however you can do that. So you've kind of almost got that pause now and that's the hardest part. So you're well on your way. The next is like then creating the space. So I I would say you could try something like, can I wait five minutes rather than saying, can I do this huge big thing of surfing the urge, which might take half an hour and or this overeating plan that I have in place. Can you say, right, for five minutes I'm going to distract myself rather than sit with it just just five minutes and over time you can increase that but just starting with something quantifiable the other thing I would say is there's some really cool research around implementation intentions and binge eating and implementation intentions are basically if when strategies so you, you make them in advance so it might be if I feel that or if I feel anxious which is when you tend to overeat or binge eat. If I feel anxious, then I will, I don't know, let's stay on trend, masturbate, right? Like that's your implementation intention. And the research around binge eating is actually, um, there's some recent research, I think it was 2020, and they looked at like implementations around behaviours and emotions. So both, so if I feel anxious or if I'm in the house on my own, which is often a key time, then I will do whatever. And not only is putting these implementations intentions uh, together in advance important but actually visualize it visualizing that so something I'll do with some of my clients is if they're using implementation intentions is for like a couple of weeks at least in the morning and I'll say right you're going to take two minutes in the morning every morning to walk yourself through that scenario so you close your eyes and you imagine going um feeling anxious when you get back from work you imagine feeling the drive to overeat and like you feel it like where does that feel like in your body like can you put your hand on your part of your body where you feel that okay I I recognize that feeling I know that feeling feels like okay now you're going to visualize yourself doing that alternative thing whether it be masturbation going for a walk whatever visualize it and say it's going for a walk that's your 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 then strategy visualize yourself putting on your shoes putting on your coat going out the door what does it smell like outside is it like autumnal air is it like dog poo is it like whatever does your coat smell like your perfume what does that smell like what does it look like what are the colors what does the temperature feel like walk yourself through that go through all of your senses and really imagine yourself going through that and how does that feel in your body and do that every single morning it sounds like it would take a long time but it's literally two minutes to run through your senses and just imagine it um, and and, and visualisation can be really, really powerful, a really powerful tool because it kind of sets you up in the day of thinking, okay, I've got this. 
I've got this strategy in place. And it might not be that you follow through with it the first time or the second, third time, but eventually that's your, we're, whenever we're overcoming dysfunctional habits, we're building new habit loops in our brain because right now your habit loop is feel anxious, eat. Like that's the, the wiring that's in your brain. And it's hard to break a habit like this because we're kind of rewiring your brain. Your brain is like, um, it's like neuroplasticity, right? So we're trying to change all of these things. So that's why you don't just snap your fingers and go, well, I should do that, so I'm going to do that. It just doesn't work like that. So visualization helps with that neuroplasticity to try and help rewire your habit loops. So doing that in advance is really helpful. So that's what I would, that I would do. Mm, I think the only thing I would add on to that uh, and funnily enough for us I had the, a similar conversation with a client today is that so, like serving the urge is great but obviously when you're feeling anxious the last thing you want to do is sit and be in your head and and that's where obviously the implementation intentions come from but I think you have to keep in mind that food might help in the moment but you're still going to be feeling anxious once that food stops. So it's it's trying to think long term in, OK, I'm experiencing these feelings of anxiousness. What's actually going to help with what I'm feeling rather than I just need to stop myself from feeling like this immediately? Mm. Yeah, I always chat through that with clients is in there's all there's like a short term solution. And there's like a long-term, it's kind of like what you're saying, Anna, like long-term. But I really like that visualization as well. And Amelia, when you're describing it, it was kind of like somatic experiencing because I felt everything that you said. And then if the clients start to live that experience as well, it's going to, they're just going to become more aware in general and more mindful of those actions. And slowly they're going to start and just become aware of their senses as opposed to this anxiety feeling. Yeah. I really like that. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it and yeah I think I think the somatic side of stuff is like they don't talk about that in the research that's the side of it that I can just kind of added in myself because I think that's important obviously as we we do um okay is it me mm-hmm. I do um I've got one of your actually I've got one of your questions for us from before so um can taking up new activities dance classes rock climbing playing an instrument anything be helpful as part of healing from an eating disorder or is there a risk of trying to do too much at once oh great question great question (laughs) i would say there's certainly there's certainly a a risk of doing too much too soon but I think considering whether it's whether it's eating disorder or kind of I mean obviously I work predominantly with coaches and training is is their identity so it's exploring different things that are going to help how or not necessarily help how you're feeling but kind of different things that can bring you joy excitement happiness um so I think that that's really important when you are healing your relationship with food when you are um working on these things but I guess kind of from a couple of those examples I would be mindful perhaps are you just looking for different ways of of movement um 
that would be the only thing that yeah I would say I, I remember who asked this question and she used to have a poor relationship with exercise like she did exercise for like punishment and very much carries and carries out but she has healed that side of things so um and she just enjoys being active and she knows that like when she's outdoors she like she she knows like the benefits of that for like her headspace not just the activity mm -hmm. but one thing I'd add is just um depending you know if your weight was impacted if you're like low weight is you know there might be some physical risks of doing quite extreme activities and just being mindful of you know like are you weight restored yet or not this I think this client is weight restored um but maybe for like other clients that maybe are borderline we don't want to put the body under too much stress or like risk of injury early on in the recovery process yeah I agree I think I don't have a huge amount to add other than um, two things one is um be, as long as you are like there's not there's not, there's not too much joy right there's not you're not going to be like oh I'm just having too much fun um and what can be great about this sort of stuff is that you start to appreciate really what your body allows. It sounds like you've done some great work on that already, but really appreciate what your body allows. The only thing I would be, again, be mindful of is, is it taking you away from actually, again, acknowledging what's really going on for you? So incorporating all these things are great as long as you are also incorporating rest and stopping and journaling or whatever it is that allows you to come back to yourself. And it's not filling one activity with another because often with um, disordered eating and eating disorders, we we feel the need to fill our time with something to do with food or exercise all the time. And actually, that it can move us away from just being able to be comfortable at rest and not doing anything. So be mindful of that. Um, but that's the only thing that I would really say on top of, of course, like what you two were, what you were saying about, for example, um, managing your weight, etc okay let's leave it there thanks everyone for the fantastic questions keep them coming in thank you both very much bye bye, bye. thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes